Conesty, how are you? Welcome to the Candlelit Tales podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us. And oh, thank you so pleasure. much, Rue, as well, who is... Uh, my name is Erica. We are talking in this episode about uh, the collaboration that we have just finished doing uh, with the Embers Collective, where we echoed their stories with tales from Irish myth. Uh, so thank you for joining us. And today we're going to talk about the devil's harp and the king's violin. So, um, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's really nice to meet you. Uh, we were talking to Sam, um, <clears throat> myself and Aaron were catching up with Sam on, on Saturday and you're one of the embers who we haven't worked with before. So it's really nice to, to meet you and really nice to collaborate with you. So would you want to like maybe say a little bit about yourself and how yeah. you got into this? Sure. Um, well, first of all, it's really lovely to meet you guys too. Um, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I've been with the Embers quite a few years now. Um, I went along to see one of their gigs and we had a, you know, a mutual friend, Sean, who performed with them and who knew me through storytelling. And I, they asked me to come and do a gig. And I just started like asking for more gigs, I think. I was just really, really super keen. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do that one too. Um, so probably a bit embarrassing. Um, but yeah, it sort of went from there. And then the boys asked if I wanted to be a core Ember member. And I said, yeah, that's that's what I'm here for. That's what I've been trying to do. <laughs> they finally got the hint. <laughs> yeah, I think. But you just say, if you hang around for long enough, I found that eventually people just have to let you be a part of it. Um so yeah, that's I mean, it worked for me with Candle of Tales, so like, yeah. <laughs> Just keep being there until they have to. Got <laughs> no, you can't get rid of me. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and yeah, Rue, this is, is this your first time telling a story on the Candle of Tales podcast? It is, yeah. That's wild because you've been, like, this is just for people who only know us through the podcast. It's It's kind of it's a little bit of a different thing because obviously you've been doing music for the podcast for ages and you've been primarily doing it for most of 2021, but you know, you've also been uh, a storyteller with Candlelit Tales for, for years. Do you want to, do you want to just kind of give people a little bit about your music story evolution? Music story. (laughs) Music to storyteller (laughs) and storyteller to music. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, um, similar to similar to Sarah I just kept hanging around they couldn't get rid of me um and uh yeah they, they, they accepted it eventually um and uh <laughs> and yeah at, at some point in that uh like because I started off as a as a musician for Candlelight Tales but at some point in that every now and again there was just uh there was just a need for a storyteller and I I, I would give it a go um and uh, like in in live settings and it's it, it has never failed to scare the living shit out of me but like it's it's a it's a good buzz all the same and this was just my first time to do it on the podcast to do it um uh, to do the, a recorded version of it which was a bit less intimidating really um because you, you've you've got you, you know you've got editing on your side you can you can you can say a line again if you uh, make balls but um so yeah that's about it 
stupid. I like how you're both making it sound like the two of you were weird stalkers who like bullied us into friendship, which was not actually it's, it's the a fun story. It's a fun all. story. Come on, like she, she started. I'm just jumping on it. Like. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm sure. To it, I suppose. You know, self-deprecating, but yeah, there's a truth. exactly, exactly. <laughs> I just, I just want to say that, like, I'm sure that the, you know, I do not co-sign that narrative, and I'm sure that uh, Lonan and Sam wouldn't either. <laughs> I Maybe don't even not to my face. Like I, I'm not just <laughs> putting it out there because it's because uh, it's funny. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so Sarah, tell us a little bit about the the story that you chose, the Devil's Violin. This was wild and creepy and kind of visceral. Like mm. I I listened to it thinking that I knew what it was about, and then it got very, it got a lot more gruesome. Than I thought it was going to get. I thought it was going to be like, you know, buried them under the tree and then made the instrument out of the tree and then it talks. But no, this was this was visceral. Yeah, I know. I think visceral is definitely the word, isn't it? And it's um, I've spoken about this story before. And when I've been asked, you know, why? Why did you choose to tell it? I've said, I, I don't know, because it really disturbs me. It really bothers me as a story. And I don't I actually really struggle with gruesome material and um you know darkness so I, d I don't know I still don't quite know why I did it to myself um you know, the first couple of times I told it I had huge issues doing it it didn't feel wow like great to do um but it it's one of those stories that I've been aware of for ages so I think I must have heard other storytellers tell it or talk about it and it actually sort of resurfaced in my mind when I was working on another story which is really related to yours actually um Rue when I was listening um because it's um I was working on one of those singing bone stories where there's sibling rivalry so it's either two sisters or two brothers and there's you know jealousy either over you know a, a lover or I don't know a crown or something like this and one sibling murders the other and an instrument is created from their bones or, you know, a, a, or a reed that grows from their body and it speaks the truth. So I was working um, on one of those stories. And as a footnote, when I was, you know, reading versions and versions of it, um, it mentioned the devil's violin. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think I think I do want to tell it. I think I've made it more gruesome. Like, I, I mean, I think I actually made it harder for myself because all that stuff with her little brother and sister and the guts and the tongues. Um, yeah, I, I don't know why. I don't know why I did that. I don't think it needs to be. <laughs> it's all, like, it really doesn't need to be. It's like bloodthirsty, I suppose. Um, but yeah, some when I was working on it and I was struggling, somebody said to me, "Maybe you love it because you know she gets to keep her whole family. She takes her family with her." into this object so and I suppose that's what you know we often do when we're making something you know you you um infuse it with the ones that you love and you know so maybe that's what it's about for you and I was like yeah that I mean I was like that does sound better like, like that does <laughs> sound more beautiful and more comfortable with my choice if that's the case <laughs> but yeah um yeah, yeah it's, it's a I don't it's one of those stories that I think maybe I'll tell differently if I keep on telling it like as the years go on um but I'm not sure I think it's it's kind of that's one of the nice things about about telling stories mm -hmm. um is that they don't you never have to pin them down 
Mm. You know, I think if you're writing a, a story, you have to decide at some point, this is yeah. the way that this story ends. or this is the way that this story goes. Mm. Whereas when you're telling stories and you're, you're going to tell them again, I, I, I really appreciate that kind of, yeah, I might, might, might make a little, little less gross next time. Might make a little more gross another time, you know, like you can, you can decide on things live which is really I I think it's really cool because I don't like finishing things and making them definitive and kind of closing them down mm-hmm. like that um, so it's interesting yeah. that you were saying that no I, I think actually, actually saw you t- um, tell that story live a couple of years ago in London in did Clapham. you I did yeah oh wow it was really cool I was, I was delighted when it came up in in this because I recognized from then oh okay. I don't know if it's, if it's changed much since I can't remember that I can't remember that level of detail but uh, yeah I was, was delighted to hear it again it's a really cool story oh wow cool that is I think it's um exactly that like because if you let them live they do change and actually you know I've um especially stuff that when I first started doing this when I worked on I think I set things way too much you know, because out of insecurity and, you know, wanting to know what I was going to say. Um, so I think um, I've, I've got stories that have got stuck and I can't mm. move them on, you mm. know, because I've set them like in the language so rigidly mm. that it's a real effort. And now I feel like that's like that's quite a shame because I can't get them to move. Do you know what I mean? I know. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. I think I think that's one of the things that we like in in our group one of the things we do then is we give it to another storyteller like if I get stuck on a story like that I'll give it to Aaron or give it to Rue and I go you do it and see what you do on it because they'll see a different thing in it yeah and they'll they'll do it a different way and then usually when by the time I hear somebody else tell it a couple of times I'll go I want it back now fuck off uh (laughs) (laughs) because I love that I that is such a great idea something something else will come up mm-hmm. and something else will and like we'll you know because we used to do we used to do a set of stories mm-hmm. uh there was a time when we were doing a monthly show we do the same set of stories maybe four times mm-hmm. in different venues and like that was really a part of that was kind of like mm-hmm. you know figure out the story tell it a couple of times give it to somebody else mm-hmm. maybe tell it again at the end but like keeping that kind of that thing of like oh i've because because it can really I think it can really happen in a group where a story can become like, this is my story that I tell mm. and I, I like it and I've gotten good at it. And everyone kind of mm. thinks of it as a, as a, as a Sarah story or as a Rue yeah. story now. And like, and it, I know, it, I know exactly what you mean about it getting, getting stuck like that. What do you think, Rue? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's always been something that's really impressed me about uh, like yourself and Aaron's ability to just like, you know, have an argument about a story and then decide to, to, to like, like change the teller last minute and stuff like that. And, um, and yeah, I think it's a great ability and I, I it, it really keeps the storyteller on their toes and it keeps the story fresh and it's a great thing to do. Mm. Yeah. So. I think it's, yeah. And it stops that kind of possessiveness. Like yeah. it as well because I think you can get a bit like oh I do this like this and actually yeah. you cut yourself off from other like finding other stuff in it you yes know? definitely yeah. um so tell us a little bit about about the the king's harp through that you decided to to echo this story with yeah sure um well the thing that really 
grabbed me about Sarah's story was was that idea of the musical instrument that 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 come, that has this gruesome origin, um, or, or that the music the musical instrument that 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 tells a secret when played, and that brought to mind Lowry Lynchock mm. um, for me. And so like that like that was the for me that was the hook of the of the of the story that I wanted to echo, but like. Um, in 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 devising a version of this story, I, I I also wanted to kind of match Sarah's tone and that and and that very sinister and gruesome thing that was going on, um and to so so to do that I I I kind of brought in um a good bit about like Larry Lynchuk's backstory and his origin story and how he became the king and stuff. Um, whereas the the bulk of the story is the is the is the the whole thing of the the king with the donkey's ears and uh, and the and his his uh, harpist um, the, the harp uh, you know like telling all, telling the king's secret to the court and all that crack um, and I was I like I've I've always kind of been bothered by by that story uh, in that like uh, I I was I was I was telling this story at work recently and uh, we had and we were talking about it afterwards and and we were and and we we were a bit like the poor the poor barbers you know like like, like he he kills this succession of barbers yeah. and then it's just kind of at, at the end of the story it's just kind of like and the king learned his lesson and everything was grand lol uh and i i i wasn't happy with that no <laughs> you know? it's so like, weird I, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's that thing of like, and and no, nobody was harmed at all except for all the yeah. barbers that he murdered and thrown in a ditch. Like, yeah. it's it's a really interesting one in terms of like, because I think this is that's something that I, I was thinking of when you were talking as well, Sarah, about like the gruesomeness of the story and like the gruesomeness of kind of fairy tales. Hmm. Like, I think when we tell them with children in mind. And kind of skirt over those sorts of things like, hey, yeah. this king did a murder, like a lot yeah. of them, and he didn't seem to mind. Um, I think we we kind of we lose some really interesting stuff, which is like, well, what 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 is this story saying about like who is valued and who is not valued in this society? Yeah, totally. Like, is it yeah. is it OK to kill servants with impunity? And why is that OK? And who says it's OK? Um, like that's a kind of whereas when you tell that story of Larry Lynchuk, which is it usually is told for children is it's it's very yeah. kind of sanitized and it's very it's very like yeah and then it was all fine and you know I think as as you're pointing out really like it, it's not fine and it's no, it's, it's glaring it's 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 glaring like uh and I, like I have to do something with that to, to reconcile that if it's in order to take on the story you know um yes so so like my take on it was that it's not fine it was never fine and and that in Larry Lynchock's mind it, it was fine and that and that shows his values and that shows something about him as a person and I was uh, true to story I was trying to imply a, 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 a fairly high degree of sociopathy in his character <laughs> <Yes>. you know <laughs> that he and that, that like he would see people's reactions and uh, and be able to lean information on but there's an essential lack of empathy and and humanity there um possibly as a result of the the, the traumatic incident from his childhood where his dad was murdered and he was made to eat his dad his dad's heart now mm -hmm. um, 
so yeah I, it, it wasn't okay <laughs> it was okay so that was part of my story and i also i, I had larry killed at the end you know? yeah because I, I i tried to find out uh, what what his death story was i couldn't find a story but like the death information that i found was that he was killed by his cousin um caught quail son um so i just kind of i like i like i made up how it happened but but mm. that was the information that i found and i i, I thought that um rounded things off nice. i <laughs> I liked that because it, it then became about like the 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 start of the story had a nice little yeah, it, it it had a nice little payoff where it was uh, like oh yeah cocktail had a had a son and and that was that was there and as often happens in Irish myth and I think in a lot of myths those threads are left to dangle a little bit yeah, so yeah, it's true. really nice that was a really nice little tie off of like and this guy from the start of the story he came back and Ooh. killed him and yeah, this yeah. is the <laughs> legacy of this terrible terrible family that murder yeah. each other. And, you know, set each other on fire and feed their hearts to each other's children is that, yeah, one of his relatives killed him then because they're, they're the family yeah, that the murdered their family. hundred <laughs> percent. So what um, did you, had you heard that story before, Sarah? I, no, I, I ha- no, I hadn't. But I was um, <laughs> just laughing because when I was listening to it, I was scribbling down notes. And my notes are like, wow, fuck. Sorry, can I swear? <laughs> I, you yeah, know, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You can you can swear it off, I guess. It's fine. <laughs> like, fuck! Oh my! Oh right! And so when he, so when his, when his mother sacrificed um, herself um, again, I was just sort of out loud scribbling things down. And uh, yeah, that it, I was so interested with that um, like revelation at the end and how it happened and him having the horse's ear and suddenly all the and I was like, gosh, it's. So the secret doesn't matter. It's just a great relief. You know, it's just yeah. a great relief, but it's not because, and then, um, yeah, I thought that was, it just went everywhere. Like mm. I loved it. And it's, and I was, um, cause I think um, I was reading the other day a bit of, it's King Midas as well, isn't it? And yes. Apollo with the donkey's ears, that's, it's that same story in a different. Um, yes, we can, we, we mentioned this when we were talking to, to Sam on Saturday, because mm. uh, the the idea of story tennis that you could actually keep this echo going like yeah <laughs> send it back to you for King Midas and then send it back to us for something else like it, there's there's a kind of a uh an interesting like little kernel of what what, what what we just kept doing this for another few rounds and see how far we get before we start repeating ourselves yeah. which I think is kind of fascinating because mm. also like with um and this is this is again. I was saying to Aaron about this, like he he was echoing a, a story of Sam's, and he picked like um, he picked the love story aspect to echo. And I was mm-hmm. kind of like, I think if I was doing it, I would have picked the journey aspect to echo. And mm-hmm. I think like with this story, the devil's violin, like definitely, definitely not like to disagree or anything like that. But like, there's also kind of ones. There's there's a whole load of devil folks folk tales in Irish. Yeah more in folklore than in myth but like the devil is a real figure like he turns up and makes deals and like the story of where the jack-o'-lantern comes from is it's stingy jack was probably the main contender but lowry had the the edge for me because the musical instrument thing i was really caught i was really taken by the by the idea of the musical instrument thing so yeah oh 100 100 it's just i just think it's really interesting to kind of think about like there's so many different ways you could echo these different things, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's a, you know, that is like a really good experiment to try. Like, how far, you know, can how you many go? Echoes? And I was so <laughs> interested when I was listening to it. Like I said, because 
the reason that I tell that story is because I was looking at another story, which is very much an echo of your story, I think, um, with the singing bones and everything. Mm. So, yeah. I'm like, and again, there's other, there's a story in, in, there's other stories of like objects singing out in Irish myth, like the Lou story where Kean has killed his father, killed yeah. by the sons of Turin. And he's, he, he, before he's murdered, he says to his murderers, whatever weapon you use will call out your guilt. And so yeah. they stone him with the stones of the road. And so, of course, the next time his son is walking along that road, the stones start calling out to him and saying, the, the sons of Turin killed your father. So like it is that kind of, you know, there's there's all kinds of little different things. It, there, there's a lovely to... example of exactly what Sarah was describing earlier on uh, in music. There's this folk song, um, The Wind and the Rain, where about uh, there's two sisters and one of them kills the other, she drowns her in a, mm-hmm. in a, in a river out of jealousy over a buccal. And uh, the, bo- the, the bones are taken out of the river and made into a fiddle. And, and when the fiddle is played, it plays, oh, the wind and the rain and tells a story in the same fashion. It's a, yeah. it's a really, it's a really interesting kind of, I don't know if you'd call it a trope or a, or a story type or how, you know, classification of stories. Hey, yeah, because yeah. there's, there's so many, like there's so many little folk tales that, and, and they all have this idea of like, you cannot keep a secret. Keeping yeah. a secret mm-hmm. is destructive. Yeah. And it, and it will, comes out. Yeah. Which is, I always think the psychology of these things is really interesting because it's because it's so very kind of psychologically true that like if you try and if you try and deny something, if you try and repress something, mm-hmm. if it doesn't come out in the story, in, in your words, it comes out in your actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you you will act out whatever it is you're trying to deny or mm-hmm. whatever it is you're trying to not do. And like, it's really interesting to see it. Like, it's, I think you see it more in the Lowry story, like the destructiveness of his acting out is like all of this, he's killing people. Whereas I think in, in Sarah, in your story, well, I mean, she's also massively destructive in her act, in her acting out. But I also think she's quite, I don't know, I kind of... Um, she doesn't give a fuck. I have a, terri- <laughs> I have a terrible bias that I absolutely have to own, which is that I absolutely love a stone cold bitch. Yeah, she doesn't just, give a fuck. <laughs> doesn't give a fuck and goes for it. Like she wants that guy. She's gonna get that guy. She's gonna make herself yeah. into a rock star so that she can shag the guy. That's it. That's what she cares about. And yeah, she's gonna turn her whole family into a magic fiddle so she can do it. Like, I, <laughs> I kind of respect it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think sure. I like that. I mean, I like her obsessiveness. You know, and in, you know, in the original ones, she gets sucked down to hell. I think her and the guy both get sucked down to hell. But I just didn't, I just decided not to do that. Um, yeah. Or you could say maybe she is in hell because she doesn't seem to be able to care. Maybe that's yeah. a, a kind of hell, depending on um, how you see it. But yeah, I think at the, t- at the time, this is another thing I think that fed it, that um, I was thinking a lot because everybody was having conversations about, you know, what we do about the art of people that we know have done terrible things you know so like the art of monsters and do we watch films by so and so can we still listen Mm. to music by so and so and uh you know that conversation was in the air a lot when I was working on this story and I think I don't have answers to those questions by the way I mean I have I suppose I have personal answers yeah um but not not well-formed ones um but I do you know something that I think about and I think my feelings on it changed. And yes, yeah, so I, I think that's yeah. what the end of it. I think that's what 
was me sort of like tentatively trying to explore that and actually again it's another revelation it's a bit like the revelation in yours through like it's not people are a bit like oh well you know I mean I know they're not really because he but he thinks he thinks they are because he's so good at reading he's so good at reading the room which is great um yeah yeah sorry I think I went on a tangent there um, no it was a it was a it was a good tangent it was <laughs> yeah we're here for the tangents like. we're here for <laughs> that's where the gold happens yeah absolutely wandering down a but no I think I think that's a, like I I'm with you on not having a clear answer on that but I'm also with you on like I think that is something to sit with and wrestle with and think about and not allow ourselves to forget about yeah because it is one of the things about you know art and culture and and it's mm-hmm. it's also in in your story Rue this idea of like who do we value like there was there was there was a headline last week about R. Kelly finally, finally getting some consequences mm. for his, you know, incredibly, um, incredibly destructive and predatory behavior towards mostly young black girls. And the, the fact that he got away with it for so long mm. was says a huge amount about how much cult, that, that culture values young black women. Mm. Um, and like you see those things. And I think that's why it's kind of. I don't know. That to me is why if we tell these stories and we don't lean into the dark, I think there's a lot that gets lost. And I think there's a lot of like good meaty stuff for even just for consideration, if not for conversation, that we end up just kind of cutting out because it's a little bit uncomfortable. Mm. I think it should be fucking uncomfortable. I think if you're not a little bit uncomfortable, some of the time you're you're asleep. You know what I mean? You got to kind of find the uncomfortable bit and like just poke it with a stick a little bit and see what's, what's going on there. <laughs> yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think that's partly why, you know, when I spoke about this story really disturbing me, I think it's... Sh- I think it's probably good that it does disturb me. Maybe it hasn't disturbed me enough. I don't know. Maybe I need to go away and get re-disturbed um, again and again. But um, there's a, an article that I remember reading around um, that time that was I think, probably written in 2017 um, called The Art of Monstrous Men. And the author was talking about, I think she was talking about herself as, a woman and first of all she was talking about her relationship with um, certain directors and um, certain writers and her struggles with wanting to watch things and feeling a bit like about it um and then she was considering like because she's a writer and she has finished things all art is a little bit monstrous and barbaric because you have to be selfish mm. and now she was thinking to herself am I selfish enough to be truly great like actually you know, if I was more selfish, would my work be better? And that was a, an interesting question. I remember kind of like mulling over at the time mm. as well. It's it's an interesting idea because I think there's definitely that there was definitely a, an idea in the water for a long time about the, you know, the the great individual, mm. you know, the, the, the visionary individual who, you know, presumably coalesces out of the ether with nobody to raise him or inform him and he is almost always a man single genius yeah the singularity of genius whereas you know I mean I I know where I know what my feelings are about that because from from my experience 
and from my kind of observations of the world that is that is a myth that is mm-hmm. a that is a myth in the sense of it being untrue because anybody who's done something singularly great or had something singularly great attributed to them has a huge amount of support and often has some kind of community around no not always um you know there are there are some exceptions there are some kind of lone lone figures out in the wilderness just doing what they're doing and they're totally unappreciated in their time and people discover them usually after they're dead and go hang on this person was really onto something um but you know for the most part i think people who are especially loaded in their own time there there's there's a there's a community around them there's something mm. around them that is bolstering them and those kinds of communities can become enabling and can become you know they can they can get really really kind of toxic and sour mm. um and it's it's an interesting thing because i do think there is i i also kind of see what you're saying about the the selfishness of of creativity you know um that there is a certain amount of like no i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna go do this i'm not gonna go you know i'm not gonna go feed the starving i'm gonna go work on this story for hours and hours and hours this is how i'm gonna spend my time and by the way don't fucking bother me you know what i mean like there's a kind of a because you need that focus to be able to get into it um i don't know what do you think ruth yeah, it's it's a it's a funny question to to have to grapple with, and um, I don't know. I mean, like uh, I, I I suppose that like there is art that has been created by some figures who've who've turned out to be really controversial. Like say like like say like I've really enjoyed the film the films of Woody Allen, for example. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, and like I I I don't know how. Like it, like it, it's it's a weird spanner in the works then for these revelations to come out afterwards. Um, but like I I don't know if if, if it, it, like how that changes the changes the the piece of media that I've enjoyed. You know, like um, the uh, this thing of like the death of the author. I like I I can I can subscribe a bit to that. You know yeah. that like the piece of work is created by the individual, and then it's like it's like birthed and and put out in the world, and 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 it's its own entity then, and it's mm. uh, and you and you don't actually have to worry so much about the author. I don't know. I think I, I would lean towards that. Mm. Personally, I think I think I'm kind of I like. I don't know. I think I like yourself, Sarah. I don't have a definitive kind of ruling on it. And I, and I think it's very kind of case by case for me. Sure, yeah. Um, because I think it's kind of like, is this person still benefiting from people appreciating their work? You know, is this person... Because uh, I think, like, for me, the issue is not sometimes artists do shitty things because everybody does shitty things sometimes. Yeah. People are... You know, I'm not going to say people are terrible, but you know, um, that. But without those words, <laughs> but like, you can say people are terrible. It's okay. it's not it's not unique to artists to mm. to, to do shitty things or to to, to have bad behaviors or to or to be abusive or to be predatory. It's it's not unique to artists nor priests nor politicians, but I think it the for me the sticky bit and it's something that's definitely in your story Rue um and and kind of in your story as well Sarah like in in terms of the power of celebrity because to me the thing is 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 power 
mm-hmm. when people are in positions of power, that proportion of people who's, you know, who who lack that empathy or who have impulses that they don't know what to do with or whatever the particular cocktail of ingredients that makes them hurt other people, they get insulated from the consequences. Yeah. And uh, and it's it's because people see their work and see their art and see their genius, which I don't think are lessened by the bad behavior. Like, I don't think I don't think somebody like Picasso was a fucking horribly abusive person mm-hmm. to um, all of his uh, wives and girlfriends, as far as I can tell. But like that doesn't make his you know, I, I, rem- I, I still remember standing in front of the picture of Guernica. I'd seen it in art books. And when I was in the museum standing in front of it, I just got this like almost physical impact. It knocked me back a step because it was so fucking powerful for me. And like the fact that that was created by a fucking asshole doesn't make it less powerful for me. But then again, he's not still around abusing women <laughs> because yeah. of people paying to see his painting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a naughty one. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And as I said, I don't even know where I am with the knots myself. I imagine somewhere a little where you are. Um, I don't think, I don't think my appreciation of a piece of work has ever been diminished by mm. knowing something about its maker um, so far. But mm. you know, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's funny, isn't it? You do you look at these things and they st- and and then of course we we're dealing with material for storytelling that is almost sort of by definition authorless. Like who came up with who came up with the devil's violin? is an unanswerable question <laughs> yeah uh, yeah and then again this is the whole thing it's almost um you know what you were talking about earlier about asking somebody else to tell the story that you normally tell that's almost like the opposite of this kind of ego this mm-hmm. is my my story and this is how I do it and these are my words um which I think is quite hard to let go of actually mm. sometimes you know I get really I can get quite attached over like oh, yeah. some, a story that I've I don't know, quote unquote, made or crafted. I'm a bit like, oh, that's that's what I do. <laughs> a bit. Yeah, I mean, this is there's a reason that Rue described it as me and Aaron having a fight, because uh, usually it is preceded <laughs> by one of us being like, no, I want to do it. No, I don't. No fun on mine. <laughs> and then, because <laughs> it is, it's hard. It's a little hard to let go of. But I also think there's something about like, you know, the way we deal with artistic uh, production now and the whole idea of like copyright and especially the way that that's getting extended and extended and extended you know things that are part of the creative commons um you know things that are in the public domain the public domain keeps keeps getting pushed back uh by by walt disney so that they don't let the mouse into the public domain so it is it is now so much more time than it used to be really i didn't realize yeah they they take a lawsuit every every time it runs out and they get an extension and then that applies because it's precedent. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we're we're very kind of, you know, I was I was thinking about this in terms of um, 
you know, there aren't many uh, films or TV shows about Irish mythology, which is fine by me <laughs> in many ways. Like they're less known, but also nobody's nobody's fucked it up too badly yet. Um, and there is a there's, of course, all these disputes about, you know, Marvel characters mm. and some of the Marvel characters are the Norse gods. And can you copyright, you know, the horned helmet that Loki wears in the first time he shows up in a film? Because that also shows up in older depictions of the god Loki. So what, how, where is that? Like that whole tangle of questions around like who owns that character? And like, what about that character do they own? Or what about that story do they own? I think it, it just, for me, it really feels like a shutting down of creativity. Because I think one of the wonderful things about not just storytelling, but also kind of the, the, the sort of democratization of content creation that the internet has brought about is that people can just, people can take their stories and be like, oh, I didn't like the ending. I'm doing it. Uh, I'm going to do a different ending. And I'm going to draw a painting of this person and I'm going to make them a different gender or a different race. And I'm going to do what I like with them. And I kind of love that. Yeah. Like, I think it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a net good for all of humanity. Like people do their own weird creative shit with stuff that's online. But I, I also think the fact that, that there's such ownership over these ideas is, is something that gives me serious uh, pause. Because mm. um, also, it's also balanced then with like, I think artists should be paid for their work and I think artists should be compensated and, you know, because their work is work and their work is valuable. So anyway, sorry, I've been talking for a while no, about No, no, it's, it's another really thorny, thorny, it's an interesting kind of jumble of thoughts to kind of unravel, isn't it? Um, mm. I think this is um, Ben Haggerty kind of started the Crick Crack Club. I think this is him. He says, you know, so storytellers are thieves, but there's got to be honour among thieves. Because of course, you know, you're, you're stealing um, stories all the time you're listening you're getting inspired but you don't stand up and I don't know recite word for word something that you've heard you know one of your dear colleagues do and claim that it's from you you know that's that's a different a different yes. kind of um yeah not that's a, good a different theft no yeah. you're right yeah and I, like yeah because that's the kind of a thing you'll hear is you'll hear it in, among Irish storytellers definitely that somebody will say this is a story and I had it off so and so and they had it off so and so and like there'll be there'll sometimes be a little bit of a lineage of a story mm. like this was told to me by this person who heard it from this person who was literally there you know what I mean that kind of like pedigree <laughs> and I think you know that's wonderful isn't it you know because that's like a lovely respect and then you take it and you tell it the way that you tell it with your lens on the world um, and it's always going to be different um, but yeah I, I totally agree like I'm really I don't I've never read any of it but I'm quite interested in like like fanfic um, <laughs> you know like like I want I, I want to like know more about it because I'm, I'm really sort of intrigued by how it works and like I know it's such a huge huge thing oh yeah but that's like this is the yeah this is what's this is what's great because great and and terrible 
because of course when everybody can create stuff 99% of everything that everybody creates is rubbish but like <laughs> you know maybe not quite that much but you know what I mean there's just like there's it, like everything on the internet it's just so much of it is is just a kind of a churn of like not great or not quite there yet or mm-hmm. or whatever else and and you have to go looking for the stuff I think that speaks to you and mm-hmm. that's not this is this I think goes to the power thing as well because that's that's so much less curated these days you know it used to be very much curated like Woody Allen was a big director because his films were, were shown in the art house mm-hmm. whereas there might have been a director of equal talent down the road and her films weren't shown at all do you know what I mean <laughs> like there's kind of the ways in which these things are filtered um have changed and of course that's that's not without its its own issues you know i can sit here and say hi i'm a medical expert listen to me when i talk to you about viruses and vaccines and people will go well nobody's telling her to shut up (laughs) so it's great to know actually because i have some questions I have been looking for an expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm an expert. I'm an expert in everything. I have a very authoritative tone of voice. It's very deceptive. I know nothing. Yeah, and you're on the internet, like so. Surely they wouldn't let her on the internet if she didn't know what no, she was so talking. They, about. they wouldn't. These great guardians. Um, well, listen, folks. Um, shall we? Shall we wrap up? Um, thank you both so much for for joining and thank you both so much for sharing your stories and your thoughts and uh thank you so much uh everybody who's listening look at that i remembered um, and uh sarah you're on the uh, people can find you uh on the embers collective is there anything else that you've got going on that you'd like to um mention? no not right now actually but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you can find me um on the embers website um and all the other kind of embers social media and that kind of stuff and i will be up to more things i think later in the year and beginning of the next i hope fingers crossed yes indeed <laughs> um well speaking of fingers crossed we've got a few few shows coming up in october so keep an eye out for uh what is it? Shadows of Samhain. It's going to be in Whelan's. It's going to be in Puka Festival. And we're going to be doing uh, some shows. And uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, we will see you next time. And see you.